Hi everyone, welcome to the Lawcast. My name is Melanie Thorley and I'm the director of MJT Law. Today we are going to go over a couple of, well let's just say there are some mad cases out there. So first of all, I'm going to be talking about an employee didn't have their contract renewed. This, is, this, this happened only a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. The employee didn't have their contract re, um, renewed. They um, complained and made a unfair dismissal application. Now, the employer put a jurisdictional objection in that this employee wasn't terminated. Uh, and the commission had to decide on whether a contract coming to an end and not being renewed is a unfair dismissal. Now, there are some terms in the Fair Work Act that talk about contracts coming to an end as not termination. So the question was uh, whether the renewals in the past meant that this employee had essentially a right to have their contract continue to be renewed. Now, the commission in this case, um, <laughs> it went, the commission said that absent of any relevant mitigating factors, if the parties to a contract of an employment genuinely agree that the employment of that employee will end in particular circumstances, and it does so end, the termination occurs by reason of the agreement between the parties and there will be no termination at the initiative of the employer. Now, why am I talking about this? Because this seems like a go-figure moment, right? It's because someone actually filed. It's because we've got employees out there who have their contracts, who come to an end, because there was a term in that contract that said, your contract's gonna come to an end, and they still feel it's unfair that their contract comes to an end, and they file an unfair dismissal, and it goes through the Fair Work Commission. It goes, it, people have to make a decision on whether the jurisdictional objection of the employee was never terminated because an unfair dismissal is about termination. And uh, yeah, it went all the way through. I haven't had a look to see whether there's any cost application. There was a reserving of costs, that sort of thing. But I just thought it was really interesting that we've got this concept where you can you can have an employee on a term contract but still complain when the contract ends. Okay, the next thing I'm going to be talking about is there's another bill in Parliament once again dealing with the National Employment Standards. This bill was introduced to the Parliament in early March. It's proposing to amend the National Employment Standards preventing employers from contacting employees outside of working hours unless the reason for the contact is an emergency or a genuine welfare matter. Now there are a couple of exceptions, but I was thinking about this. How does it work in practice? I mean, obviously this is a bill, it's not in parliament, it's not in law yet. They haven't looked at the, you know, particularly at the wording particularly carefully. We've got to go through a whole process and we all know, well, we may not all know, but there are some of us out there who do know that for years and years there was a bill in um, Parliament trying to make pay secrecy clauses uh, null, null and void. And it was blocked and blocked and blocked for about eight years and then it um, expired. 
and then the Labor government put one in, um, put a bill in last year, fast forwarded it through, and voila, now we have law. So we don't know what's going to happen with this one, but this is a real, this is an interesting, because uh, it's been called the right to disconnect bill. Now, I have no doubt that there are some employers out there who constantly contact their employees when they're off work. And we're not talking about just being sick or just being on holiday. We're talking about when they go home for the day, that they're getting emails, they're getting text messages, that they're, they're required in many ways, or, or there's this un, unspoken requirement to have their emails on their phone. So if something comes up, they'll deal with it. And and look, broadly speaking, when you're at work, you're at work. When you're at home, you're at home. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Although I don't have children, I do wonder about this homework bazaar at schools then. If we've got, if adults have a right to disconnect from their workplace, it does make me wonder why children don't have a right to disconnect from their school environment. They're at school almost the same number of hours as adults are at work. Um, and some would argue that they do far more work um, with the homework requirements than adults do. So I am interested to see why this is playing out in an adult world first. But I'm fascinated to see how it works in practice. And in, in a case of an emergency or genuine welfare matter, now, is an emergency when an employee calls in sick and you've got to cover that roster? Is, it, is that an emergency? Is it an emergency when the employee goes home for the day, says they might not be in on Monday, and you want to check in to see if that's actually going to be the case because they're not feeling very well, for instance, or they're, or something else? I mean, what what's an emergency here in this case? So I'd be interested to see how this actually plays out in reality. But, you know, needless to say, it's another bill. Labor government's making some more changes to the national employment standards, and this is one of the ones that they've proposed. We'll have to wait to see if the bill gets passed. Now, the next thing, I know I'm just kind of speeding through it today. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is this question of being terminated by mailbox. Now, I don't know who does snail mail these days. I have to send out letters because of, of requirements in my law practice, but it's quite rare for me to receive a letter in my personal life. Um, in this case, the employee lives, has provided an, an, a, a, um, a physical address that's not theirs. The employer knew it wasn't theirs and um, it was apparently their dad's or their, you know, um, I think it was their dad and their dad was elderly um, and they knew that that person checked the mailbox, but they knew that person didn't live there. They wanted to terminate this employee, and I'm just gonna use arbitrary dates. So they wanted to terminate this employee on the 1st of March. They drove over to this house, popped the mail, popped the termination letter into the mailbox, uh, and then, you know, left. They did it like 3.30, uh, 4.30 in the afternoon. The next day, the employee receives further correspondence that they are also terminated. I think this is via email or text message. Now, the employee files an unfair dismissal application. Um, I'm not going to go into the issues on that. But they file it 21 days 
to the day after they receive the email or text the next day on the 2nd of March and the employer argues that they were actually terminated on the 1st of March because they provided this letter. Now the Commission considered this, they considered the circumstances around it. Now I don't know about you but I check my mailbox, well I don't check it every day but if I did it wouldn't be uh, at, you know random times in the day. I might check it in the morning for instance or I might check it at midday. In this case the applicant's dad was in a wheelchair, he checks it around 10.30 as he's walking out the door to do something and he doesn't look at it again for the rest of the day. So in fact the reality is that mailbox wasn't checked at 4.30 when the, um, it was posted, in fact it wasn't seen until the next day. And the Commissioner, um, the Commissioner um, didn't agree with the employer that they had validly terminated that person on the 1st of March. Um, the employer knew, and the Commissioner said the employee knew that the employee didn't live there, that the resident in the house had mobility problems, and a text confirmed the termination wasn't sent until the next day. The Commissioner apparently wasn't amused. He confirmed that the termination was not effective until the next day and actually let the application through. So I guess the moral of the story here is if you're terminating someone, make sure they know it. Make sure they know it, actually know it, not just pop something in the mailbox and hope that they receive it. Um, these things, um, it's not just as simple as putting something in the mailbox anymore. People don't check their mail multiple times a day and if they were, they are certainly alone. There, there would be the minority in the public. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about just one more thing if we've got time. And that's another um, change to the Fair Work Act. Now, this is a really strange one. The federal government is looking at making some changes to anti-competition. And this, this kind of concept that restraints of trade are stopping employees from going out and finding really good jobs. Now, non-compete or no-poach restraints are used in companies to protect their confidential and proprietary information to stop employees from going to different companies and poaching their clients and poaching information and just getting up to basic mischief. Now, there is this kind of... I guess we can say whispers that the federal government's not liking this. This is completely insane in my view. We, the restraints clauses are unenforceable until the court enforces them. Only a handful of restraint clauses get enforced and that is because there is a genuine need. Restraints, do, restraints for a start are an incredibly complex area of employment law and restraints will only be enforced by the court if it is absolutely necessary or reasonably necessary to protect the employer's legitimate business interests. And why can't an employer protect their legitimate business interests? Why would one make a determination legislated to say that these clauses are unenforceable? I just, I don't, I simply don't understand it. 
So we'll have to see how that plays out. I actually don't know what's going to happen on this one. I think it's a little bit, yeah, it's a bit of a mad thing that they're talking about that they'll never really actually do. But it's certainly worth keeping an eye on and seeing what's going to happen because as an employer, every almost every contract has a restraint in it of some level. And yes, most of them won't be enforceable if something happens because it is a always a very specific set of circumstances and it is about business efficacy and legitimate interests. And it is not sensible if you've got a a warehouse worker moving boxes around that they can't go and work for a competitor to go to a warehouse and move boxes around. So that restraint would never really in, in my view would ever be enforceable but if you've got a salesman who's been working with your clients for literally years have built intimate relationships with these people I'm not saying it's a you know funny intimate relationship but you know they know them really well they've been going out they've been hanging out with them and then they leave I don't see anything wrong with stopping that employee from taking those clients with them because they belong to the employer they don't belong to the client so look, there's, there's some interesting ones here. We've got two law changes which seem a little bit uh, like using a sledgehammer to thread a needle and we've got two cases which seem really weird. Why would you think that terminating someone by driving over to the house and popping it in their mailbox they're going to receive that termination notice? I don't understand that. And, uh, and an employee who thinks that it's okay to have argued unfair dismissal when the contract was already coming to an end what anyway hopefully you're all gonna have a lovely week thank you for watching the little cast it was a lot of fun today hopefully it wasn't bang 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 too much and um, we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks see you later